Our scripture today is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. You can find that on page 1676 in your pew Bible. And just to give you a little bit of context, this, the context for uh, today's message is Jesus' statement, I am the true vine. Last week, Pastor Peter preached on I am the way in John chapter 14. The context is pretty much the same. It's Jesus' upper room discourse where he gives his final instructions and encouragements to his disciples before he goes to the cross. We're fast forwarding just a couple of days after Palm, uh, the triumphal entry that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. This is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now return in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you may joy, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appoint you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and may your word do the work of the pruner's knife this morning in our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Father. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm thrilled to be preaching God's Word this morning on this beautiful Palm Sunday morning. Last week, Pastor Peter preached on uh, John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way. And if you didn't hear that message, I hope you go listen to it, because it was a wonderful message. And the context of that statement is the same context we come to today in John chapter 15. So it's the, the, the Last Supper in John 13, and then Jesus' instructions to his disciples in John 13 through 16 is called the Last Discourse. And so Jesus is giving 
um, sort of a pep talk, encouragement to his disciples who are troubled. That's why he starts in John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why are their hearts troubled? Well, in John chapter 12, the Gospel of John pivots from the miracles and ministry that Jesus was doing, the sign miracles, and it pivots to Jesus saying, my hour has come. And we know that his hour is his hour of suffering, his hour on the cross, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his return to the Father. And so he sets his sights now on his hour, and as he gets ready to depart, he gives these final words of encouragement to his disciples who are troubled. They're troubled because he's leaving, and I'm sure they're wondering, how is this going to work, Lord? For three years, we've walked with you, we've lived with you, we've ate and slept with you, and you've been the one doing the miracles, not us. So how are we going to carry on your ministry? How are we going to bear fruit when you go to the Father? I'm sure that question is in their mind. And Jesus answers that question, I think, in this this statement, I am the true vine. I mean, there's more trouble. He tells Peter, Peter, in a few hours, you're going to deny me. Just before that, Judas leaves, and John makes the comment, and it was night, because Judas goes out to betray the Lord. And actually, in just a few hours, they're going to go out and walk to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there they'll be met by soldiers and Judas, and Jesus will be betrayed and tried and crucified. So it's a little bit of a heavy time in the upper room. And again, Jesus takes this opportunity to give his disciples some final words of encouragement and instruction. And we, we see these words, the, uh, the I am statement in John 15, uh, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Then we skip down to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you... You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, this I am statement of Jesus is a little bit different from all the other ones in that it is an extended metaphor. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and then he extends it and says, and my father is the gardener, and you disciples, you're the branches. And he's speaking to the 11. Remember, Judas has now gone out and it was night. And he's speaking to the 11. He says, and you are the branches. So this morning I want to talk about just those three aspects of this I am statement. Jesus as the true vine, the father as the gardener, and disciples as the branches. It's not complicated. In the words of Lily from AT&T, Jesus' disciples understood vineyards and grapevines. We don't. I mean, the first time I ever went to a vineyard was a couple of years ago. I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs. I'm not a a farm kid. I don't have a green thumb. (laughs) I have like a purple thumb or something. But I went to Napa Valley because I have a friend who uh, I was quite close with right after college, and he lives in Santa Rosa, California. So I went to visit him uh, in Santa Rosa, And we spent all day, he took me through all the vineyards and the wine country of Napa Valley. And we stopped and we saw how things ran and we, you know, we stopped at a couple different wineries and vineyards. And it's beautiful. You see all these perfectly manicured rows of of vines and grapes 
trestled and cultivated to bear maximum fruit. And I learned a couple of things on that trip. I learned that the, the quality of the grapes depends on the quality of the vine, the stock that they're grown from. And the quantity of the grapes depends on methods of cultivation and pruning and care for those precious vines. And so, uh, so I learned something that the disciples knew. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, they got this. Because the, the, the countryside of Israel was dotted with vineyards. Well, not only that, but the grapevine was a national symbol of Israel. Remember when Jesus stood by the temple and said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he's speaking not of, Sol- of, of Herod's temple, the Jerusalem temple, but of his body. But on that great temple, where the Wailing Wall stands today, on that great temple, on the side, was a carved vine. A huge, it was called a golden vine, with big clusters that people would come and adorn with different things. And it was a national symbol of Israel. And so they understood uh, grapevines. The image of the grapevine is about connection and contrast when Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's about connection. Just as uh, 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 branches, disciples, are connected to a vine to be fruitful in ministry, you disciples must be connected to me, the true vine. It's about connection. And what it means is his disciples understood that he was the Messiah, the Holy One of God, God's one and only Son, the source of all true spiritual life. So they have to be connected to him. But when he says, I am the true vine, he adds that little word, true. And that's a key word in John. And we know that from that word, he's contrasting himself with the vine that wasn't necessarily true. He's contrasting himself with Israel. In a number of Old Testament passages, quite a few actually, Israel is compared to a vine or called God's called God's vine or God's vineyard. Some examples are Psalm 80, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, um, Jeremiah chapter 2. But probably the most famous one is in Isaiah chapter 5, and it's called the Song of the Vineyard. And in most of these passages, almost without exception, there are some exceptions, but in most of them, Israel is called God's vineyard, but then chastised for not bearing the fruit God was expecting from a beautifully cultivated vineyard. Let me read some of this to you. Uh, Isaiah 5, Song of the Vineyard. I will sing for the one I love, that's God, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. He he then looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? bad now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard I will take away its hedge and he goes on and there's a word of judgment here 
And he ends in verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are, are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw only bloodshed, for righteousness but heard only cries of distress. So folks, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's making a contrast with Israel, recalling those passages. It's this, this idea that what Israel failed to do, Jesus, as the Messiah, he does. He bears the fruit of righteousness. There's uh, one commentator says, with Jesus, a new Israel emerges, the members of whom draw their spiritual sustenance from him alone. Jesus is the true vine, as uh, I heard one pastor say, my son, when I was discussing this with him this week, he said, uh, yeah, the true vine ends the cycle of rebellion and the failure of Israel to be God's true vine, a light to the Gentiles, bearing the fruit of righteousness. So folks, the vine image is easy to understand. It's not complicated. It's about dependence, Utter dependence on Jesus, the true vine, for spiritual life. Dependence not on national Israel, not on our spiritual pedigree, not on religious institutions. In fact, Jesus doesn't even say the church is the true vine. Although the church is critical, we know that the bride of Christ, we must be involved in the church, but it's Jesus who is the true vine. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And nothing, my friends, is not just a little something. It's nothing. Now, John Calvin writes, We are barren and dry, except insofar as we have been ingrafted into Christ. We have no power to do good except what comes from Christ. There is zero spiritual life without Christ. He is the entire source of our spiritual life. So this is about connections. The the lesson for his disciples is when Jesus is gone, they have to stay connected with him and continue to draw their spiritual life from him. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, he gave him some indications, and we'll talk about what it means to abide in Christ, but in, in chapter 14, he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, because I live, you will also live. Listen. A major theme of New Testament theology is union and fellowship with the living Christ. The Apostle Paul is masterful at picking up on these themes when he writes things like, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And apart from Christ we can do nothing but Paul says, in Christ, I can do all things in Christ. So, um, so Jesus is the true vine. He is the source of all of our spiritual strength and sustenance. That's the first point of this metaphor. 
that Jesus is teaching his disciples to remain connected to the vine. Number two, Jesus adds, God the Father is the gardener. Verse one, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And here's the idea. Just like a gardener oversees the health and operation of the vineyard to ensure sufficient quantities and quality of fruit, God the Father is personally and providentially involved in overseeing his kingdom to ensure fruitfulness. Fruitfulness, a fruitful vineyard. Look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. You guys know what pruning's about. When you got a tree and you need to prune it, those dead branches, you cut them off. And so Jesus says, that's what my Father does. Um, look at uh, verse 7. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now that's a little bit of a, a heavy statement. Has a, a, a note of judgment, doesn't it? So why does Jesus bring that into play right here at this particular point? Well, think about what just happened in the upper room. Who just left? There's 11 of them there. Who just went out to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? That branch that was, that was cut off. Judas is the one who goes out. And John adds this little statement, and it was night. Masterful. Why was it night? Was John telling us the time of day? No, it's the Last Supper. We know it's night. John is making a theological statement, darkness versus light, that Judas had entered into a dark night of the soul. Um, darkness has descended on Judas. He heads out into the night. Friends, this passage has um, got a little bit of an element of, of judgment, doesn't it? But we can't pick and choose what scriptures we like and we don't like. Now, the question that always comes up when you look at a passage like this is, can you lose your salvation? Are those branches that are cut off like Judas true believers that lost their salvation? Some Christians believe that. Um, or were they never believers in the first place? Well, listen, John answers that question. He answers it in a number of places, but most specifically in chapter 6 on the bread of life discourse. Remember what he said. He says, all that my Father gives to me will come to me. And he says, and this is my Father's will, that of everyone he gives to me, I shall lose none. None. And so Judas, while he's connected to the vine, he's a branch, the 11 are branches, Judas is a branch, He's connected, but he's a dead branch. He doesn't have the life-giving spirit. He doesn't have the sap flowing from the vine. And so he's cut, he's cut off. He's cut off. So, um, uh, lost my place here for a minute. So, so the father prunes us. Uh, the father prunes dead branches. But he also, the gardener, God, does the work of a pruner's knife. He takes, John says, fruitful branches, in verse 2, and prunes them with the pruner's knife. You know how that works. Sometimes you have a good branch. It's bearing fruit, but you've got to cut it back. What happens? It bears even more fruit. 
And John says God is like that. He prunes us. Well, how? How does he prune us? Well, sometimes it's through his word. Look at verse verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to the 11 disciples. They're true believers. They have, they, they know Christ. They walk with him. But he says, you're clean because of the word. The word. God prunes us by his word. The word of Christ. The word I have spoken to you. What did he say to Peter? Look, look in just a few hours, Peter is going to deny Christ three times. And yet Christ tells him he's clean, right? But he's going to go through a pruning process, isn't he? And Jesus is going to have to restore him in John chapter 21 when Jesus is risen and he walks with Peter along the beach and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. So God prunes us through his word. That's why we need to be in the word. So it can do the work of molding, shaping uh, our hearts and our lives. Um, There's another way God, I think, prunes us, disciples, as branches. And it's through circumstances. Through external circumstances. Sometimes bad things happen to God's people. It's not just luck. It's not just uh, happenstance. It's not just the the devil's out to get me. It's God is pruning us. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a bad doctor's report or some other external circumstance. But God is pruning us. And all those things happen for a purpose, for a reason, in the providence of God. God the Father is the gardener. And he is pruning And what is his objective? Well, we read it in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples. Bear much fruit, proving to be my disciples. God is glorified. This is to my Father's glory. What is the chief end of man? Westminster Confession. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we've got Jesus... He's the true vine. He's the source of all spiritual life and sustenance. We've got the father, the gardener, who's cutting and pruning to ensure a fruitful vineyard. And he's glorified by much fruit. And he seeks fruit. He's concerned about fruit. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of justice. The fruit of the spirit. Love and joy. Peace and patience. In fact, all those themes are brought out in this upper room discourse. In chapter 14, Jesus says, peace I give to you, my peace I I leave with you. He talks about joy and love here in chapter 15, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, So God is the gardener and we're to bear much fruit. The third component of this extended metaphor are the branches. The branches are the disciples. The 11 in the room and you and I as well. Look at verse 4. There's a command here. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is a key word in John. 
33 times this word translated remain occurs, about 10 times in this passage. And uh, it can be translated abide, remain, stay. I'll tell you, I'm a little disappointed with the translation remain in the NIV. I really like the old King James or the English Standard Version, which translates it abide. For me, remaining in Christ is too sterile. It's like, I get it, because the branches remain on, on, on the vine, right? But, but the idea behind it, behind abiding, is much more active than that. And that's why I like abiding, abiding versus remaining. But you get the idea. The Greek word means to dwell or live. And just as the branch enjoys the life-giving sap of the vine as it remains on the vine, so the disciples are called and even commanded to abide in Christ. Then, and only then, can they bear much fruit. And that's the idea. So there's a command, abide in me, and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Let's talk a little bit more about what this means to abide in Christ. Again, it's about connection. Being connected to the true vine who is the only source of spiritual life. Some people think that abiding in Christ is something mystical, something magical. Uh, In the Colossian church, Paul writes to a church where some false teachers are saying, we've had visions of chariots of fire and and, 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 and mystical experiences, and you can have that too. You can take your Christianity to a new level. And Paul says, no, no, no. And, and the Corinthians are being led astray a little bit. And, and, and Paul says to them something similar that he says to the Colossians. He says, I'm really concerned that somebody might lead you astray from pure and simple devotion to Christ. Pure, sincere devotion to to Christ. That's what abiding means. It's about sincere and pure devotion to Christ. To trust Him, to love Him, to obey Him. That, that's what it means to abide in Christ. The simple metaphor of the vine and the branch tells us it's about staying connected to Him. How? Number one, by trusting Him. How do we enter into, how do we get grafted into God's vineyard, God's vine? It's through faith in Jesus. John tells us that in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, as many as received Jesus, who believed or trusted, that word means trusted, in his name, to those he gave the right to become children of God. We trust his promises. We trust his word. We we believe in Christ alone for our salvation, the true vine, the only way, the truth, the life, and, and, and that's how we're grafted in, through God's grace, working, working through, our, through our faith. So we trust Christ alone for salvation. We love well. If we had time to go into a lot more detail in this passage, and I encourage you to read it later, you'd see a lot of talk about loving Jesus. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. Dwell in my love, Jesus says. Live in my love. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life 
for his friends. Jesus talks about his atoning sacrifice, which is just on the horizon. And we'll talk about that, you know, on, on Easter. Um, uh, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. So it's about pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Trusting Christ, loving well, loving Jesus, loving the gospel, loving the saints. And it's about obedience. Obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. That great old hymn we used to love to sing when I was a kid. Obedience. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Look at verse 7. Uh, let, let his word, obey him, let his word abide in you. Verse 7 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Friend, there's a, there's a promise here for those who abide in Christ and have Christ's words abiding in them. You know what that promise is? Power in prayer. Power in prayer. If you abide in, if I abide in you and my, word, your word, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Power in prayer. Let his word abide in you richly, Paul says, uh, in, another, in another place. And finally, in chapter 14, in verse 23, Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come in and make our home with him. We'll, we'll make our home with him. So, so obedience, trust, obedience, love, those are, it's, it's not complicated. It's really not. And the image of a vineyard is a perfect and powerful image to demonstrate how fruitful branches, fruitful Christians. Verse 16, Jesus said, says, I've, I've chosen you and appointed you to bear much fruit. God's glorified. My Father's glorified when, when you're fruitful. Fruitful branches come because they're abiding with and in the true vine. That's where spiritual fruit comes from. Devotion marked by trust, obedience, and love. Read his word. Obey his commands. Apply its lessons. Trust his promises. Commune in prayer. Love well his people and him. Friends, it's not mystical. It's not complicated. It's actually pretty simple. It's actually pretty simple. Well, I want to close here with a challenge. A challenge to you, branches... And the challenge is there's, there's two primary emphasis for disciples in this passage. One is on bearing fruit, right? There's a clear call here to bear fruit. Remember, that's what Israel didn't do. That's what Jesus does do. And one of the ways he does it is through his disciples. So bearing fruit. But the second one is abiding in Christ. And the order is important. Because a lot of times you can take a passage like this and, we, and we'll, you know, we'll conclude, hey, i got to show myself to be Christ's disciple. i got to bear more fruit. i got to do more things at church. i got to sign up for another committee. i got to get... And you know what? We're already booked 24-7. But the key here is not doing more stuff. 
It's abiding in Christ. Abiding in the true vine is the real key to fruitfulness. Spending more time with him, stopping, reflecting. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? You all love that story like I do. You know, because some of you are, are Mary's and some of you are Martha's. But you'll remember Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She abided with him. She sucked the sap from the true vine and just was eating it up. She loved it. And Martha's in the kitchen working her fingers to the bones, right? And she's mad at Mary, and she says, Lord, tell her to get in here and help me. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, she's chosen the better way. You see, fruitfulness comes from abiding with Christ. And you know, you know what the, the best part of this passage is? It's the reward of abiding with Christ. Look at verse 11. I have told you this, this metaphor, all these things. I have told you this, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Brothers and sisters in Christ, nothing will sap your joy more than not abiding in Christ. When I was a college student, I was a Christian but I was an unhappy Christian. Because I, when I was with my friends in college, I wasn't quite like them. They didn't know the Lord. I was kind of doing all the things they were doing, but I was a fish out of water. I didn't quite fit because I, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. And when I went to church, which was very seldom, I also wasn't happy because I'm like, I'm not living there. I'm kind of straddling two worlds here. And friend, there's nothing that will rob the joy of a true Christian faster than that kind of a double a, a double life. And it wasn't until when I was 23 years old when I said, that's it, I'm done with it. And, and I, I got serious about my faith and God really changed my life that I started to experience the joy, the peace of mind that comes from having my sins forgiven and knowing that I can walk with Jesus, abide with him. And it's not based on my ability to do those good works. It's all by his grace. And yet, I'm called to abide. And uh, that's what this parable is about, folks. Abiding with Christ, bearing much fruit. It's not complicated. So noodle on that this week. Read this passage. Go back and listen to Peter's sermon from last week. Great sermon. And uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you sustain us by your spirit, by your power, by your word. Father, we thank you that you prune us and you are shaping us to bear much fruit. Lord, help us. Help us to bear fruit so that you may be glorified in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.